Well, friends, we're continuing a series of messages called Our God and looking at um, who our God is and what he does for us. And we're looking at uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10 tonight. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. And I'm sure that if you haven't looked it up yet, when you get there, you'll see, oh, that's where that story is found about Zacchaeus. And we'll read that story Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, page 1496, and the Bible's provided. This is the word of God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, beloved in Christ, there were a few days a long time ago when I realized just how much of a giver my wife is compared to me. I remember it well. And my kids remind me frequently, much to their delight. Allison spent some time away with her sister or a couple of friends of hers, doesn't matter who, and she was gone a mere couple of nights. Not a week, not three, four nights, but just a couple nights. She left me with our kids who were, by this time, old enough where they could kind of take care of themselves She didn't dare do this when they were really young. They could kind of take care of themselves, but, you know, getting them up, getting them breakfast, getting them lunches, getting them off to school, getting some semblance of a meal ready and eventually in front of them for one of the nights, we resorted to fast food the second night. All that they couldn't do themselves, well, it fell squarely on this parent right here, this not very giving parent. But I was bound and determined to try. So that first night, I attempted to follow a recipe for their dinner, a recipe that had the word reduction in it. That should have been my first clue that this would be an unmitigated disaster. And it was. I didn't even know what a reduction was. But I followed that recipe and ended up with gravy or juice or whatever it was supposed to be that was cemented like hard burnt candy to the bottom of the pan. 
That was my first and only foray into doing a reduction for a meal. I ended up just throwing some roast beef on top of it and calling it goulash, which I had no idea what that meant either. I tried but failed miserably. My skills at giving of myself for my kids, my time, my ability or lack thereof, were next to nil. Don't get me wrong, I was a giver for them in some things. I exercised some giving muscles, but Allison exercises all of them. And and that little two-night wife-out hit me smack in the face with the reality that Allison is definitely the premier giver in our home. She gives and gives and gives some more, and I am so grateful. Parenting in general, and when you're the mother in particular, I would imagine, that is something that must surely teach you to be a giver, to be selfless, to be generous. Our sinful natural tendency is for all of us to be clutchers, keepers, grabbers, graspers, and takers. But some things teach us about giving, like spending a couple nights as the mother, for example. The good news today is that our God is a giver. He is a giving God. He, in fact, gives lavishly. He gives abundantly, super abundantly, and it's transforming to know that, that God thinks so much of you and me that he gives to us, gives us so much, blesses us so richly, pours out the blessings on us. Imagine having a God who was take, take, take all the time. Would you want a God like that? A God who is pretty much like any other sinful person in the world? A selfish God? A stingy God? A miserly God? A grasper, grabber, taker, keeper, clutcher kind of God? Of course not. Just like a wife wants a husband who's a giver and vice versa. Just like children want a mother and father who are givers. If we all wanted a taking God, a God who was a taker, All we'd have to do is look around us. Here a taker, there a taker, everywhere a taker, taker. The good news is that God is a giving God. Ephesians 1 verse 6 says, God has freely given us his glorious grace in the one he loves. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he, listen, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. We have a God who lavishes his grace, his gifts upon us. Some of you know the verse, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23. We read, God's mercies are new every morning. We'll be singing that song in a few moments. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Do you ever do that? Do you do that in prayer? Do you do that on Thanksgiving Day around the table? Do you do that on paper? Write down all your blessings. If you spent an hour or a half hour this week writing out all the things that God has given to you over your years, I think you'd have a pretty long list because all good gifts come from him. 
We sang the song Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. Why is that? Because already now, but even then, in eternity, God's gifts, his generosity, his grace, his mercies, his faithfulness, his love, his blessings will just keep coming. In the 10,000 reasons song we sang, still my soul will sing your praise unending. 10,000 years and then forevermore. How can that be? Because God's giving keeps on going like that annoying energizer bunny some of us have grown up with. It keeps going and going and going. But with God, it's not annoying. They are his good gifts. They keep coming and coming and coming. The more you know God, the closer you get to him, the more you will recognize him as a giver. Not a keeper, not a clutcher, not a grasper, not a grabber. He's not the taker. He's the giver. The giver of all good gifts. Jesus teaches in his Sermon on the Mount at Matthew 7 that even sinful parents, parents that aren't perfect, in other words, all parents, even sinful parents know how to give good gifts to their children, some better than others. Parents are incredible and incredibly generous with their kids. I, I found out just how generous Allison is with our kids, always putting them first, ahead of herself, giving them her good gifts of her time and energy and service. But Jesus said, how much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? How much more? And the understood answer, it's a, uh, like a rhetorical question, the understood answer is incredibly more, unbelievably more, infinitely more. Your Father in heaven, James writes, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. God is a giver. A generous, giving God. That's our God. I almost want to stop here and ask people to give their experiences of how God has generously given to them. I imagine the stories would astound us. This is what God gave to me and to me and to me so we could hear and be transformed by the knowledge of how generous God is is, of how giving God is. We could be astounded at what a giving God we have. Maybe, maybe we have to, we have to, maybe we, we are, we, this is the assignment, right? Maybe we have to start out the first conversation we have in the narthex afterward with that. This is what God gave to me. Your first sentence out of your mouth. Well, next half of the message is to take that transformational truth that God is a giving God and see how that transforms us. Each message in this series, we've been, we've been hearing what kind of God we have and asking, well, how does that transform you? Well, now we're talking about God being a giving God, a generous God. How does that transform you? How does that transform people who are made in the image of God, who are commanded to be imitators of God? Could it be that God is wanting to transform our hearts and minds and hands and turn us into generous people like he is generous, into giving people like he is giving? 
He wants to turn us into givers like him. We're coming up on Stewardship Sunday. It's no surprise. In a couple of weeks, it's always kind of early in February. How will knowing our God is a giving God transform our giving related to pledging our giving amount for the next year? God wants to transform every part of us into selfless givers. Every part of our lives. Our time, our talents, our treasures, our work stuff, home stuff, school stuff, church stuff, all of it. He says, I'm a giver. You also are becoming givers. You see that transformation take place in the life of Zacchaeus. As Jesus takes hold of him and completely changes him inside and out. You see Zacchaeus change from clutcher and keeper to generous giver. I would say most of us start out as clutchers and keepers. We get a lot of voices in our world shouting at us, that's the way life's supposed to go. You grab for all you can get, and you hold on to it as long as you can. But God knows the joy of being a giver, for he is one. God knows the deep, satisfying joy we will experience when we open up our hands to the needs around us. God knows the joy that people experience when he pries back their tightly grabbing fingers and blesses them with open hands that let go and give. Look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus... His hands are, for all intents and purposes, arthritic. Arthritically clutching the treasure he has amassed. Rigor mortis has set into Zacchaeus' hands. It's a wonder he could climb that tree with hands like that. He was a chief tax collector, wealthy, and everyone looked at him as a traitorous sinner. He collected taxes from the Jewish people, his own people, for the Roman Empire. And when he collected taxes, he went above and beyond the call of duty. He cheated the Jewish people. You owe this much. I expect you to pay this much and a bit more. And I'll keep you out of trouble with Rome. So Zacchaeus was very wealthy. He was a clutcher, grasper, and he was good at it. But for some curious reason, Zacchaeus wanted to see the man named Jesus. We don't know why. Maybe maybe he was just curious. Maybe he was looking for his next big tax mark. Or maybe, probably, surely, God was up to something in Zacchaeus' life. God was about to transform Zacchaeus God was about to heal his arthritic, clutching hands. So he runs ahead of the crowd, climbs a tree, and perches there and waits for Jesus. And Jesus reached the spot and called Zacchaeus down. And you can imagine this crowd when Zacchaeus comes down with a big smile on his face. Oh, great. Here we go. Zacchaeus is just trying to rub shoulders with the popular rabbi. What's that he said? He wants to stay at Zacchaeus' house? Well, go figure. Is it any wonder? Have you seen Zacchaeus' house? That's the house our money built. That place is a mansion, 
Of course he wants to stay there. That Zacchaeus, he's a traitor, a sinner, and shame on this Jesus for wanting to stay at his house. And the story says Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly. But no one is happy about it. They want to wipe that supercilious smile right off Zacchaeus' face. The whole crowd is murmuring against what is happening here. They're muttering under their breath. But something unexpected has happened here, hasn't it? And we don't quite know what length of time went by after Zacchaeus came down from that tree. The text says, all the people saw this, saw this welcome of Jesus by Zacchaeus, and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But the very next line, you have a completely changed Zacchaeus. I have a hunch something happened between those two verses. The text says, but Zacchaeus stood up, and said to the Lord, now again, I'm not sure here, but I have a feeling that Zacchaeus and Jesus probably had a long talk after Zacchaeus got down from the tree and before he stood up and talked to the Lord. It says he stood up and said to the Lord, now he had been in a tree. Why would he have to stand up unless he jumped down and fell to the ground? I think a more reasonable answer is that after he got down, Jesus and he sat down, got to talking, and had a nice long talk. And I have a hunch Jesus did the talking and Zacchaeus did the listening because all of a sudden Zacchaeus has been transformed. He's totally changed. The clutching rigor mortis on his fingers has left him. His Fingers and hands have been pried off his possessions. His hands and fingers were once gnarled around his money, but now they are wide open. A gesture of generosity in imitation of his Father in heaven's hands. Or is it in imitation of Jesus' hands? What, after all, could that conversation, I am suggesting happened, have been about? Maybe it was about Jesus' hands. Maybe it was about hands that were going to be flattened out and lashed open to a cross. Maybe it was about hands that would stay open as nails were hammered into them. Maybe it was about hands that would receive the sin of the world and would then with open hands, offer the greatest gift of all. Offer the gift of forgiveness for the sins of the world. Offer Zacchaeus forgiveness for cheating his fellow Jews. The lousy life he had chosen for himself. Offer Zacchaeus a place in the father's family where there is community and fellowship and love. Something Zacchaeus had lost long ago even offer with a gesture of his hands a place in heaven one day for Zacchaeus. Might Jesus have had that conversation, that private conversation with Zacchaeus? Maybe, maybe not, but something sure happened. 
between the time Zacchaeus got down from the tree and when he opened his mouth to say to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Something happened. Maybe something got said about what Jesus would soon give to Zacchaeus with open, generous, pierced, blood-stained hands on the cross. Something happened. Maybe something got said. Pretty likely, in my opinion. Something happened. And for sure we know it included this. Jesus' mighty open hand of salvation came to Zacchaeus that day. A most generous gift was given to a sinner. More than that, to a sinner no one could stand. And it happened that day. That salvation gift was given that day. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And he found it. That's, that has definitely happened here. Instant, unstoppable transformation of Zacchaeus' heart. And with it, instant, unstoppable transformation of Zacchaeus' mind and his hands from gnarled, tightly closed, clutching hands, hoarding heart, miserly mindset to open, generous, giving hands, giving heart, generous mind. Imitating what his master would do in short order at the cross. Open up his hands and give himself to the world. Now Zacchaeus has already started doing the same. Opening up his hands, his mind, his heart, and giving himself to those around him. What a gift that was to Zacchaeus. His whole life was oriented around the acquisition of things. His mind told him that he needed the next best Thing, always the biggest and the newest and the brightest and the best. He had to have it. And when he got one, he wanted two. When he had old, he wanted new. When he had smaller, wanted bigger. Had it good, wanted better. Never satisfied. The foolishness of his mind kept telling him, you deserve more, need more, you've got to get more. And Jesus' gift was freedom from that. Jesus, with his saving hands, broke through that slavery of Zacchaeus' mind, put a new freedom there. He put wisdom there that, that Zacchaeus likely hadn't heard since he was a child on his giving mother's knee. He used to spend his days and sleepless nights figuring out ways to make more money, enslaved to it, grasping it. And now he's joyfully, gleefully, eagerly finding new ways to give it away, give it to the poor, make things right so he can give some more. What a gift, a gift from Jesus, a total transformation from a grasper to a giver in every way, just like Jesus. Beloved, you know what an up a tree Zacchaeus' mindset can do to you, can't you? It can destroy you. Destroy a marriage, a family, a business. It can destroy you. 
It can rob you of healthy relationships with your kids, rob you of time spent with them, rob you of everything that's important in this world. But after he was called down from that tree and his hands fell open, Zacchaeus' life was put back together by God. What a gift. What a gift. The gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And all that comes with it. In Zacchaeus' case, it was the gift of the open hand, the generous mind, the giving heart in imitation of Jesus. At this time in Zacchaeus' life, he gave back extravagantly to his Father in heaven. Take half. Take half. Just take it, and I'll pay it back four times if I've cheated anyone. Maybe that giving pattern continued for Zacchaeus. My guess is it did. How about for us? Are we following this pattern of extravagant giving in imitation of Jesus and in thankfulness for what he has done? Friends, what private conversation under the sycamore fig tree what private conversation right now might Jesus be wanting to have with us after he calls us out of the clutching, grasping tree? Maybe it's a conversation about a mission project that really excites you, a ministry organization he's leading you to support, a new thankfulness and generosity in your hearts as you think about pledges and offerings and budgets is Jesus calling you right now down from that tree you're clutching as if your life depended on it so we can have a heart-to-heart -heart giving conversation with you a conversation with the giver who lavishes his gifts of love and mercy and grace and blessing on us lavishes them Maybe he has in mind that conversation to transform us and our own giving into something more sacrificial, something more generous, something more superabundant than we have ever known how to do before. Our giving can become something more lavish than before, just like his. And that's a good thing, because reductions, they don't turn out very well. <laughs> Our God is a giving God, and he is transforming us into giving people. Give thanks to God for his word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful that you lavishly Give us so many good things. The greatest gift of all, Jesus, given freely to us. And Father, we do pray that you would have those pretty tough conversations with us as we study your word, including places like this, Luke 19, but other places too, as you speak to us in prayer. 
that you would have those private conversations with us, even as we think about stewardship and what that means for budgets and offerings and pledges and things like that. That's difficult things that we have coming before us. But you have private conversations in mind for each one of us, we know. So speak to us, Lord, we pray. And through all of it, you simply want to free us, to give us the freedom to be givers like you. So we say, go ahead, transform us. Give us that gift too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.